Welcome to Glass Talk, Canada's podcast for the architectural glass industry. Now here's your host, Patrick Flannery. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Glass Talk. I'm Pat Flannery. Uh, this is kind of a special one. I'm interviewing Margaret Webb. Uh, she is retiring from the Fenestration and Glazing Industry Alliance. Uh, she was the uh, Canadian uh, Technical Director and Liaison there. Uh, prior to that, of course, she was the Executive Director of the Insulating Glass Manufacturers Alliance, the IGMA, for uh, many years. Uh, overall, retiring after 22 years in this industry. And uh, I'll tell a short story to sum up uh, uh, something, uh, I think a key point about Margaret and her career. Um, I remember I was at Windor uh, early on uh, after joining the magazine, and uh, I was looking for uh, industry partners. I had been uh, I had been interested in uh, getting the endorsement of some industry associations for the magazine, and uh, I walked uh, past the IGMA booth, and there was Margaret sitting there. We had never met before, and uh, I said to uh, I you know we chatted and introduced uh, uh, each other and uh, chatted a little bit about what, what we were doing. And finally, I said, uh, well, uh, you know, Margaret, uh, you're aware of Glass Canada magazine, which she was. Uh, and I said, um, would we be able to get the IGMA's endorsement uh, uh, for this for this magazine and uh, and be able to say that you're uh, you're a partner with us? And uh, sitting right there, a uh, sight unseen, Margaret says, "Yep, sure, good idea." <laughs> and that was that. Um, no, if uh, anybody who's been involved in these sorts of discussions knows that this sort of thing uh, typically takes a, a lot longer and a lot more wrangling and a lot more back and forth. But that was Margaret, uh, decisive, uh, uh, sharp, uh, knowing what uh, needed to happen and uh, making it go. And uh, it's something that I think served the IGMA and the FGIA well for many years, and something that I certainly appreciated and something that I think many, many people in this industry appreciated, among the many, many other uh, uh, gifts and tremendous hard work that Margaret brought to this role. So uh, this is sort of a celebration of Margaret's career. Very, very glad to have this conversation with her today. Uh, please enjoy my conversation with Margaret Webb, uh, retired, from FGIA and IGMA. Well, everybody, this is kind of fun. I'm here with uh, Margaret Webb, uh, the uh, former uh, executive director of, uh, uh, well, IGMA for many years, and uh, and then the FGIA, the Fenestration and Glazing Industry Alliance, which Margaret helped to form, essentially, by, uh, by putting together the IGMA and the AAMA. And uh, Margaret has retired after uh, more than 20 years of, uh, of, of really great service to the industry. And I thought this was a, a terrific opportunity to get her on and, uh, and talk, to, uh, talk to us about uh, industry stuff and, and, and her experience and what she's seen. And maybe this is a chance for Margaret to tell us what she really thinks about a few things <laughs> after not. I think you'd have to leave it for a couple of years before I tell you what I really oh, Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we're not, it's, it's still too soon, still too soon to get uh, what she really thinks about everything but uh will uh and, and actually it was funny margaret and i were just having the we, we were just talking right margaret about uh about uh, the need the need to disengage <laughs> after 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 years of being uh you know just absolutely consumed with with everything in this industry have you have you have you found it uh, found a little hard to pull away uh that fast Surprisingly, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but I think it's because I was actually ready to go a year ago. Right. right. And then, you know, sort of delayed it by a year. Now I only worked part-time last year, sort of. I did do quite a bit of overtime, but uh, which I think actually helped eased into it. But I think you get to the stage where you just have so little tolerance for some of the antics that go on that, yeah, I was ready to go. Yeah. Especially, yeah. On, especially on the code stuff. Yeah. It, and uh, ski in particular, like when uh, CHBA lost the appeal, mm. to me that was almost, uh, you know, kind of the axe falling. Yeah. Help me, help me out with that. With uh, uh, ski, I, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. On energy efficiency, the Canadian code level. Oh right, okay. It's yeah. a standing committee that deals with energy efficiency, and I just, you know, in my opinion, and it's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think they're a pretty self-serving bunch. Um, mm-hmm. I know that, it, I mean, they're pretty much driven by what goes on in BC and everybody knows that BC, you know, much like California kind of drags the industry forward, but sometimes I think they overdo it. Mm-hmm. Myself. Um, on that, you know, there, I know that, you know, to have a balanced committee, you have to have, you know, sort of more, so many producers, so many users, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it seems to me that that committee is got way too many energy zealots on it. And right. I can understand why someone like that would want to participate on that committee. But I know in speaking to, you know, a code official who I shall not name um, out of Atlantic Canada, he said he's sick and tired of BC sort of dictating the building code requirements for the rest of the country, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, BC, like, you know, Ontario and uh, probably Quebec and Alberta are what you, we would call a half province, whereas Atlantic Canada, you know, for the most part, those are sort of considered have not provinces. And it's not, I mean, they're just, you know, don't have the population to, so they don't have the tax base and that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, that's losing that appeal. I mean, we had grounds. I mean, and I think we proved them. Um, I mean, there's not much you can, you know, do after the fact. There's no appeal after the appeal. So right. Um, the only thing now that the industry can do is actually fight it at the provincial level. Right. Well, th- uh, it's it, 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 a pain in the butt, right? You know, instead of doing it once and you're done, yeah. all of a sudden now you got to fight it everywhere. Um, I would say nobody sh- should even bother trying to fight it in BC because basically you know what we're going to have at the national level is already in bc so what's the point um but you know ontario um alberta they might have some success um you know quebec kind of does its own thing anyways so but it's tiresome you know and then there are provinces that you know um do just adopt the national codes right they don't have their own provincial codes so right Right. Well, take okay. So, so let, let, let's not assume that everyone knows what this appeal was all about. What, 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 what exactly went on there? Okay. So, basically, it was the introduction of the performance tiers right. for energy efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't have the information in front of me, so it's going. I'm going to be talking pretty much in abstracts. Okay? Right. Um, so, basically when everything went out for public review, there was four tiers on the uh, prescriptive path and five on the performance path. 
Um, so, uh, you know, a comment was, you know, sent in like, you know, delete tier five on the performance path so that, you know, it matches the prescriptive path. The way Ski dealt with that is they just just arbitrarily said, okay, then we'll have five tiers on the prescriptive path. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, on the prescriptive path, I think one, okay, now this is where I might get it wrong. One and two are set. Three might be set, but I'm not sure. But four and five, there's no requirement, no prescriptive requirements in that. However, on the performance side, the tiers are all set with this is what you have to do. So, and you know, the one of the excuses that's been used is, oh, well, we have to be net zero by 2030. Right. right. So that becomes sort of this target, except nobody will actually, you know, sort of set what are the what does what does net 30 mean? I mean, other than at the 30,000 foot level, mm-hmm. but on specifics, what does net zero mean? Right. Do you know? I don't know. And it's never been defined at the national code level either. So now when you look at the performance um, pathways, when you get to tier four, I think it adds on about, I want to say about $10,000 per house. But when you get to tier five, it's more like 40 to $50,000. Right. And there's absolutely no technical justification to that to you know, say why why it jumps so much, you know, right. I, like okay, so then what are your metrics? What you know, what are your metrics? Your you know, your technical metrics. There are none. Well, because you're shaving. Like at that point, you're at that point, you're shaving off very small increments. Like those differences. My understanding between tier four and tier five, you're starting to shave off some very small increments that are that like the cost of doing that relative to the improvement that you that you get starts to that that gap starts to broaden a lot like it 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 gets much more expensive to get those last few points um and uh so i i I assume that's why that's happening because and like you say i mean net zero it's 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 difficult to define and it's impossible it's impossible to define using a prescriptive path you 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 can't you can't say what net zero is from a perspective well, there's, there's too many factors that go into yeah. play. It's kind of, it's almost the same way as with the, you know, the, um, the, um, the LCA stuff. Right, right. So, the uh, life cycle analysis. Like, yep. Yeah. So, I mean, in theory, it's a really good concept, but how do you actually deliver that in practicality? There's so many factors that go into play that you really can't. I've, I've thought that many times. I, I remember looking at that years ago and, and, and going, oh, my God, are you really expecting a company to, to take its product and dive into the minutia of where every little input and everything comes from to actually arrive at a, I mean, these, these calculations must be, um, I mean, and, you know, and for the, for those who aren't familiar, the, you know, this, this is a, this is, this is the expectation that you're going to have a, a full documented report uh, mm-hmm. on, on, on every bit of carbon input that goes into a product that you manufacture, essentially mm-hmm. from when the raw material has been pulled out of the ground uh, all the way until when it, it, it comes to its final resting place as a recycled material or in a landfill. Right. Uh, and, 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 and if you think about that, 
the trucking, the mining, the, 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 you know, where, oh, the plastic that I used, where did the oil come from? Like, holy smokes, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's, it's not uh, uh, feasible really, but you know, this is. Yeah. So therefore assumptions are made along the way. And by the time you're done, does it really bear any resemblance in reality? Yeah. What's it, yeah. What's it, what's it really worth? And, and, uh, you know, well, I don't know. The I guess whole industry has, you know, formed around this particular concept, right? Oh yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. There's, there's, there's exactly. definitely green consultants who are who are doing very well, uh, yeah. preparing preparing these reports and uh, yeah. uh, more power to them. But uh, you know, someone's got to pay for all that, uh, yeah. and uh, and and it, uh, it 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 does it does raise the question, doesn't it? So, anyways, yeah. uh, so on this appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, um, CHBA, there's was sort of a couple of ways they, they, I think there was three items raised, but one of them was on process saying that, uh, ski had not followed process. Um, so, you know, what ended up happening was, you know, sort of quoting from minutes, which were not necessarily capturing all the discussion. So for the appeal committee, looking at these minutes, they say, oh yeah, they did follow due process. Um, so, you know, one of the things I did recommend after the fact was I said, if you make a comment, you insist it be recorded in the minutes. Yeah. Because right. those comments don't get recorded in the minutes. It's really just action. It's just whatever the action is that came out of it. But the discussions typically don't get recorded. So, I, you know, like I know Liz Winder from CHBA, who they have a net zero builders program. Mm-hmm. So obviously they define net zero. Um so they had brought some data from their program and, you know, sort of compared it to the tier five performance requirements. And we weren't allowed to argue on technical merits. Okay. So oh. it, it was strictly a process thing. However, where the process falls through here is that she wasn't even allowed to present those results. She got shut down. And one of the uh, members, one of the voting members of the standing committee actually called her a liar in the meeting and said she was deliberately misleading the committee. Oh, and, no. Yeah, it was bad. It was like, I think everybody kind of went into shock at that point. Now it was actually the chair or the staff's position that they should have actually jumped on that right away. Yeah. Nobody did. So I then put a comment in, a little comment thing saying, Liz is owed an apology. Mm-hmm. She didn't quite get an apology. Um, and I, I gather this individual contacted her the next day and did do an apology. But the way I view it is you did this publicly, you need to yeah. bear the theme of apologizing. But the net result was nobody looked at this data. There was also, um, you know, a, a information data from natural resources, Canada that also said, you know, tier five makes no sense. And that just got dismissed because it was, you know, not a big enough population, not a big enough sample, you know, whatever. But it seems every time somebody brought something that didn't agree with tier five, it really got shot down. So, like, yeah. nobody ever reviewed any of it. Like, to well, this- and that's because the edict was out there a- ahead of all of this. The yeah. government had pronounced years yeah. ago now right i mean I, I don't know when this market transformation stuff and and, and everything really well it was after the paris climate accords yeah. um, um you know it came from on high the very highest yeah. Yeah. uh to say this is what we're going to try to hit 
And yeah. and so any 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 industry resistance to that, you know, is ultimately doomed, right? So, but our argument was, or you know, the argument really is, stop at tier four. Yeah. Just leave tier five empty, similar to tier five on the prescriptive path. Just don't set the values and take your time, do your due diligence and, and bring it forward to the, you know, 2025 code cycle. Right. So we weren't talking about, you know, you're never going to do this. What we were asking for is due diligence and have something that actually, you know, had been studied well, was documented well, had substantial data to back up, you know, these requirements. Yeah. <gasps> So what we're what we're what we're backing what we're backing into here uh, uh, with with this uh, great discussion about this sort of thing is is that this is the kind of thing that you've spent the last what is it twenty two years uh, 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 doing and 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 dealing with usually not in quite such a fraught political environment but uh, but you know you've this is this is it Margaret how how did you get interested enough. In, in in this sort of work and this sort of codes and standards to give me the how did how did this how did this become a thing for you okay so one it's not really a thing it was a requirement <laughs> <laughs> no, i don't i mean there's probably people who relish doing code work you know i think you know it's uh, you know you got to do a lot of research you gotta you know so it's i mean i don't think anybody who does code work is ever going to get alzheimer's yeah right hiring on too many, you know, cylinders for that to happen. But, um, you know, the, the thing is, if you were going to, you know, represent the industry or do what's best for the industry, and you got to do that. It's just a requirement. So yeah. um, up until being involved with ski, I didn't actually find it um, that onerous, I have to say. Um, you know, it's a little bit of frustration, but I know like um, dealing with um, the Standing Committee on Structural Design was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we put in the code change request to reference the uh, ASTM E1300. Now, I mean, what they did was they set a task group. And so it took a few years and the task group kind of went back and forth. Yes, no, yes, no. So that was a little frustrating, but it was all very civil and it actually made sense. You know, right. what they were doing. Um, same thing with dealing on uh, the standing com- committee on uh, housing and small buildings. Same thing. And actually... I think they need to figure out how to split that one up because that is just way too much code stuff for one committee. I mean, it's just brutal. Like I remember in a past job I had um, and I wasn't doing this. Somebody else that I worked with was doing that. But I mean, you know, and this is sort of pre-electronic days. I mean, they get, you know, their their package and the package was like this, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. read through all that like, margaret is now holding her hands very far apart nine inches it was just crazy yeah, yeah. Um, and i remember thinking at the time this is nuts like how is one committee supposed to go through all this and of course the answer is they don't they right. can't right they, you know can go through you know sort of what their area of expertise is and probably abstain on other aspects but but even so you know i found you know the other committees um so i also use an egress was one that i was involved with and i've always felt they were very well run and if you spoke up there was respect for you know what you had to say whether they agreed with you or not at least you got your chance to be heard 
I know at, uh, so back to ski, I know in 2020, uh, I think it was April, we were, we had put in a negative uh, comment to um, one of the, one of the piece, uh, the co-change requests. And um, they're arguing, like we were saying, like the industry, you know, is not going to, can't meet this. You know, they just, they can't, you're not giving enough lead time. And so one of the, uh, one of the um, uh, people on the committee said, oh, well, yeah, I built this project and, you know, we had, you know, windows that, that met this code thing. And of course, there's always leaders. There's right. always market leaders. But if you look at the, you know, the majority of the industry, well, sorry, they don't have the capability of doing that. They either don't have the infrastructure, they don't have access to the technic, you know, the technology, you know, whatever. Anyways, this guy literally snorted at us and laughed at us. You know, I'm sorry, that's disrespect. Yeah, right. And, you know, so we had at this point really formed this little industry coalition. Yeah. And, um, and we actually drafted a letter to, to be sent. Now, we never did send it, but it was drafted. It was ready. It was ready to go. Yeah, for exactly the reason. Now, after the thing happened with Liz... Yeah. Winder CHBA, yeah, we drafted a letter and sent it. So yeah. uh, we support we supported their appeal. You know, not you know, just because we agreed with it. I mean, it doesn't mean we'll always agree with you know CHBA's position, yeah. but in this particular aspect, we did. So as I said, for the most part, my code um, experience has been fine. I know there was a little bit of frustration with HSB when housing and small buildings yeah. um when we uh uh finally published astm e2190 and you know we went to cgsb basically they told us they wanted some ridiculous amount of money right to reinvent the wheel i think it was 110,000 canadian home yeah oh yeah no no it's not it's, this is not a cheap date so you know instead of you know we wanted to do a dual designated standard, but the, the memorandum of understanding between ASTM and CGSB had expired and not been renewed. So CGSB wanted $110,000 because now you have to pay for staff time. It's not just pay for the reimbursable, the hard expenses. They want to pay for their staff time, which in my opinion is double dipping. I mean, as a taxpayer, I'm paying their salaries anyways, you know, so like, hello. Yeah. yeah, that's and it's not like somebody was going to be hired for this. So it's not like they were acquiring staff in order to deal with this. The staff was there already. So my mind, yeah, double dipping. But that uh, that but you're big, but you're big, rich business owners. So it shouldn't be any problem to uh, kick in. Yeah, whatever. You know, sums of yeah. money. Yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. The and, and that was and that was uh, that was an ongoing uh, uh, effort for you oh, yeah, it was yeah. to try to try to raise the funds to, to to get like that was just one of the things. Right. There was also the whole initiative to try to, um, uh, well, do either do something with the lapsed Canadian standards or or have them gotten rid of and, and to try to get. Well, I think they've all been withdrawn now, with the exception of 12.1 has not been withdrawn. Yeah. Actually, I think there's only two now, which is 12.1 and 12.8. And 12.8 is the insulating glass. But right. I know on the uh, ASTM E2190, um, Ray Wakefield and I traveled all over the country trying to get this into part nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
it's, you know, now they basically hold all their meetings in Ottawa. So, but, but back then, um, you know, we were flying out to Vancouver and flying here and flying there. Um, and actually, interestingly enough, CHBA did a support us. And at that point, John Kenward was the CEO of uh, CHBA. Um, at the meeting in Vancouver, um, a gentleman from the Ontario Building Code came up to me and he said, and and he actually said this publicly, they were going to adopt it into the, the Ontario Building Code. Right. Um, and so he said, he goes, you got it. You've got your reference. Because once it goes into the Ontario Building Code, then of course it was going to go elsewhere. So, we, I mean, we did finally get it, but you know. Good. Yeah, yeah. No. but it's yeah. it's 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 a it, it can be. Sometimes it's it a long able. way to go, a short distance. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and it's I mean, you know, I I think one of the one of the things about the about the work you've been doing is you know it, it there is sort of a, a, a herding cats process to it, and it's a process of getting people who have day jobs uh, to uh, to to focus, you know, to, 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 yeah. to do a, do frankly a lot of work uh, in a lot of cases on, oh, on some of these things. Yeah, being on a standing committee or any committee is a thankless job. You know, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. nobody gets you know you know paid for it. Um, I think it can be you know just brutal. Uh, yeah. you know, to do that. Yeah. So anybody who's participating on you know whether it's the you know A four forty committee or one of the standing committees, you know, if you come across them, you should thank them profusely. Yeah, really. This job and it can be extremely frustrating. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Margaret, was the IGMA this technical before you came along? I, I mean, I, I've, I was always impressed from my earliest days attending the meetings, you know, at, at, at how much science and, and, and how much effort you guys were putting into this, this sort of thing. It wasn't the kind of thing that, that, that you see all, all the time at other associations. Yeah. Um, um, is that is that something you kind of you kind of brought along and, and saw that as an important role for the association? Um, I think both Sigma and IGMAC did have they both had, you know, technical committees. So they were, you know, sort of that's where, you know, so sort of the glazing guidelines and the, you know, the manufacturing procedures. So th- there was those technical aspects to them mm-hmm. um, in terms of the code work. I don't think either organization was doing any work at the code level. Right, right. Um, so it was making the standard and then letting yeah. it go wherever it went. Now, IGMAC, I know, did the uh, participated um, on the uh, CGSB standards, and Sigma, you know, through Bill Ignell, uh participated at ASTM. And of course, you, you know, more at ASTM than at CGSB. At ASTM, you know, the you know, you know, companies like you know, Cardinal and, you know, uh, you know, Pilkington and, you know, PPG then, which of course are not PPG anymore, Guardian, all those guys would have been at ASTM. Right. But um, so I think, you know, probably there was, you know, participation at a higher level at ASTM on, you know, the standards that impacted the industry, but not so much on the Canadian side. Right. And certainly I don't think at the national level. Yeah. So that was something that, yeah, we, we brought in um, and it kind of ended up being, you know, what started that actually was, yeah, putting together the 12.8 and the E77374 the, uh, e to make the E2190. Yeah. Hmm. 
So that forced us into the national code arena then. So yeah, right. And then from there, it just expands. Now, mind you, um, prior to that, I'd worked at the Canadian Manufactured Housing Institute, and we were heavily involved in code. So it's not like I, you know, didn't have any code experience. I oh, did. Oh yeah. So that yeah, that would have made you much more familiar with what uh, what the process was and what needed. Yeah, and I was more familiar at that point than with uh, housing and small business, uh, but small buildings because manufactured housing, HSB. Um, so it wasn't until, you know, we started looking at, uh, you know, the, the 1220, which was the standard we tried to get revised, but it comes with the hefty price tag, of course. So it's yeah. just sitting there and now has actually been withdrawn, though it is still referenced okay. um, that, you know, I sort of forayed into, you know, structural design. And then, you know, there's some other things that pulled me into use and egress and you know um i had some experience prior with the energy efficiency the the predecessor committee okay uh, yeah and i remember thinking oh man i don't want to get involved in this this is just a you know a sinkhole um so until we actually filed the the negative comments you know so you know that was you know kind of towards the end of that my was, that was the sinkhole <laughs> yeah welcome to the sinkhole yeah Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god. Um let's do uh let's do proudest accomplishments in 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 in, in all these years. I I you know, I mean you you you've you've done you've done a lot. There's been a, a, a tremendous amount of effort. When you when you when you look back, what uh, what are you gonna point at and say, I'm glad I did that? Um I think the Sigma IGMAC merger probably yeah. stands out as the biggest thing. Um and, you know, that was one of the reasons I was hired was because I had a background in, you know, organizational design change management. So all of that came into play in, um, I'm going to lose my voice, I'm afraid. Hold on a second. Oh, That's yeah, take a drink. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyways, um, so that was actually that I really very much enjoyed doing. Um, you know, there was a little bit of resistance probably on both sides not wanting to lose their identity lose their structure and all this i mean people don't like change mm -hmm. some people adapt to it better than others but <clears throat> i actually think you know we we had and none of this was set up prior to the merger happening right know? right um you know unlike what we did with you know ama and igma everything was kind of set up before. Yeah, that was a whole process and communication yeah. and yeah. consultations and the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, after the sort of the, the date where the agreement was signed, well, that's when all the hard work really began. Mm. Um, so we, we had both boards in the room, which was kind of interesting. So you had had duplicate representation and, you know, so we had to pare that down. Yeah. Um, not to mention having a board size of 26 just doesn't work very well. <laughs> no. So we did pare it down to, you know, what was the 13. Um, but then it was getting the technical, the people who are really invested in the technical work together in a room. So we did that a few times. And that's how we actually came up with, you know, the, the structures. So the certification committee, of course, came from IGMAC. And actually the tech services committee came from IGMAC. The tech policy committee came from Sigma, and that was sort of the watchdog committee. Um, there was um, an educational seminar on both sides, so eventually they did form the, the education committee. Um, 
And then, you know, our, the last committee that was formed was the uh, Emerging Technologies and Innovation. I think that was a good one. Yeah, that was a, yeah. I, I, I thought I, a lot I, of the- That distinguished stuff. IGMA from a lot of the okay. other organizations <clears throat> because we fund that, like members fund that. It's not a case of we're pulling from general operations. That's a separate fund. Um, yeah, and the meetings were and the meetings were fun, right? I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, you'd, you know, you'd you'd have people, you know, putting their hand up and saying, "Hey, I think we should, you know, research this," or "I think we need to look into to this technology." And you get presentations from people, and it was, you know, it was a little a little uh, hot stove of ideas going on there, right? Yeah, well, we had a wish list which was maintained by the Tech Policy Committee. I think some of those just stayed on the wish list; they never made it to the top. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, yeah. hey, that's how it that's how it goes. Yeah, but. Actually, it you know, yeah, then the reality was at the conferences, we had fun. I think it was a good balance of, you know, intense work, mm -hmm. you know, where your head could hurt a lot. Yeah. And then, but you'd let your hair down at the end of the day and have some really good networking. There's nothing yeah. like everybody trying to spin a hula hoop to, you know, really oh. help you connect with your, your fellow members. <laughs> they got they got into some head scratchers from time to time. I remember people, oh, yeah. people trying to people trying to figure out why PIB drips and 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 well, yeah. that was maybe a different committee, but but you know what I mean, like you know, and, and, and people trying to like like. Thinking into, you know, like, why, why is this pressure chamber, you know, going to work and this one is not? And, you know, what should we be looking yeah. for there? And, you know, I mean, that's the stuff I loved. I, I mean, I, 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 I and do. I mean, I'll, <laughs> presumably we'll be doing that again if we can ever get together again. But yeah. Yeah. Well, the second um, research project we did was, um, and this was before the uh, committee was involved, was on gas permeability. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I have to say my head really hurt. And there would be times I'd be sitting there and I just zone out. You know, it's like I can't even follow this anymore because they were getting so far into the, you know, basic chemistry. Yeah. Goodness for Bill Lignell, because I would just, you know, go see him afterwards and say, okay, just give me the Coles notes version of this because I can't even do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know, and, and everybody was so passionate, but trying to capture, you know, just the discussions when they're getting that far into the weeds was, uh, yeah, it could be really challenging. Some really knowledgeable I, people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Incredibly. And IGMA was very lucky. I mean, you know, we, you know, had about 130 members, so not a huge organization. Mm -hmm. But of that, we had, you know, between 40 and 50 hardcore dedicated volunteers. You yeah. know, that's a substantial, you know percentage of your organization you yeah know? yeah it you was know, it was it was that it was a good group yeah but it's a good group I, I, a lot of them are still there yeah uh so yeah it's, it's i have to say the um the uh document development was probably one of my uh, favorite activities i really enjoyed the task groups and you know working on those uh documents so I have no idea why that was one of my favorite activities, but it certainly was. <laughs> well, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that it was because, um, um, you know, part, part of part of your job there was was to herd the cats and keep the keep the keep the the, the, the guardrails in place so that uh, conversations yeah. didn't didn't trail off into uh, the weeds where nothing was getting done. Or, you know, you, you were always very good at, 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 at focusing people's attention on the task at hand. Which, uh, yeah, I think I probably ticked off a few people along the way, though. I, it's the risk you take. You know, what are you going to do? Right. I, you know, so, I'm, yeah, we've always just really been a, a staff of two, um, yeah. not downplay, you know, Bill like now. Yeah. Um, 
because he was definitely a valuable contributor. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the amount of documents that got, you know, that we facilitated, you know, and, and got published and everything else, I think was phenomenal for a staff of two. I think so too. Yeah. I mean, th there was, there was a lot accomplished there. And, and I mean, if you've ever, you know, gotten into the, the, the code process of, of, of how, how much has to go into these documents and, and how much uh, uh, looking at the, the, the text and, and writing and, and, and updating things, it, it's just a, it's just a great deal of work. Uh, and, and I know you were, I know you were burning it at both ends uh, frequently uh, trying to get yeah, everything I was pretty, done. I was, uh pretty burnt out a lot of the times. So yeah, it, it was, it was it, not it, a 40 hour a week, you know, job. Yeah. Well, we're you're you're, then when your you're dedication dealing with is noted. You know, <laughs> then when you're dealing internationally, then all of a sudden it's uh, you know, becomes Oh a, my god. You know, almost a 24/7 job. I yeah. have to say I really um enjoyed having the Australians join. Oh, good. Yeah. About a fresh perspective. Yeah, very fresh perspective. Right. How are they different in Australia? Uh, they are not politically correct at all. Uh, <laughs> they're probably going to get there. But when they have an opinion, they share it, and they don't necessarily temper their response. Yeah, good. But at good. least you know where you stand. You know what's going on. So you don't. there's no hidden agendas, which is really refreshing, because I think that might be one of the most exhausting parts of the of the job is who has a hidden agenda and can you see it and what do you do about that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um they you know and in some ways you know be, because of uh, you know standards they had already developed like you know their their toughened glass or tempered glass i mean that's a good standard mm. you know, and the way they get away you know, away from the breakages you polish the edges i mean we don't do that here oh yeah so and that works yeah. And I mean, their industry, the IG industry is definitely behind North America and Europe, but not their glass industry. The glass industry is not, even though they only have one primary there. Pretty. Mm. But the others, you know, you know, import, they import glass as well. So, but they're, they're a good bunch and they were pretty technically savvy. Um, I think where they were looking for help from us was when they developed their own standard. Um, and New Zealand and Australia went together on this. And then New Zealand pulled out um, subsequently after it was uh, published. And their standard's a little different because it's not just a specification, it's also a quality standard. So they combined both into a standard, which we don't have that. I mean, we have quality control programs. Right. But it's not a standard. Right. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if that would work better. I guess it's oh, working I, I for them. Actually, I cannot see that ever passing in North No, America. yeah. No, that's yeah. never going to happen. Yeah, you're right. If you went and said, this is what you have to do for quality control, can you imagine the uproar? No. No, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I will define my own quality control process, and you can tell me once I've done it whether or not it's any good. Yeah. yeah, and that sort of follows more the the EN processes, the yeah. processes, which are heavily prescriptive. Yeah. Whereas in North America, we're more performance-based with some prescriptive. But Yeah, and but, and, yeah. and sue, you, sue you later if it doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> but I know that, like, we had, uh, you know, we had, um, you know, a designated position for the Australians on each of the committees, with the exception of certification, because it didn't apply to them. 
And the, whenever we send out the ballot, I have to say the comments that came back in were really thoughtful mm-hmm. and good, you know. Good. Now, having them attend a committee meeting was always a bit of a challenge. Well, with yeah. Time difference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. oh, well, good. It, yeah. Well, speaking of international, um, you know, one of the, uh, one of the uh, things that I, I think is a great accomplishment of yours, in my opinion, is, uh, is, is, is keeping that Canadian-ness in the, uh, in, in the IGMA uh, and the FGIA. Um, tell me a little bit about how you did that uh, and, and, and how you were able to have North American uh, uh, groups that still had a lot of Canadians involved, that still did things with a Canadian focus, that still held their half their events. Uh, in, uh, in, in, in Canada, how, how did, how did all that, how did it, well, why was that important to you and how did that work? Well, you need the balance. It like, okay. So we do have a Canadian market and we do have a U.S. market. And of course the U.S. market is, you know, huge. way bigger, yeah. way bigger, but that doesn't make them necessarily different. And we have this, you know, this line, you know, this 49th parallel, you know, line between the two but there's a lot of business that goes back and forth especially now because we don't actually have any primary glass manufacturers in Canada anymore the last two pulled pulled out right so you know so you know just to get your glass there you know the industry in Canada at least is either buying from the U.S. some are buying from Europe some are buying from China but they have to buy they have to import but so how we did it at IGMA is we forced it because we did um, balanced committees. And now this has to go with us also being ISO 9001 registered. Mm-hmm. So our committees were balanced, you know, with the manufacturers would actually hold the majority of the positions, then suppliers. And then we had some positions for test labs and consultants. But uh, like on the suppliers, we had made sure there was like an equipment supplier, desiccant, you know, so everything was really well represented. But 50% of those positions had to be Canadian held. Nice. Yeah. So that way, you know, you had the 50-50 already and every committee was like that. That's Canada punching above its weight. There, <laughs> I hope no one told the Americans, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, and when we first put the two groups together, you know, you could, you know, the the uh, U.S. members definitely had a different style than the Canadian members. Canadian yeah. members had a tendency to hold back a little bit more. Um, it's you know, they certainly had the technical expertise, but had a tendency to hold back. Oh, yeah, they didn't uh, want to share worries about competition. I, th- I think it was more they just were unsure of where things were going to land. So a little bit more reticent. Um, but I'd say within 18 months, that was that was done. Right. You, know, you could go in and you go, oh, yeah, like, you know, they were just representing their their companies and trying to do what was best for the industry. So quite a cohesive group. Yeah. And I think it helped that the board also really supported that. And when we did the, the vote to merge the two organizations, we got a 97% approval rate. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, so... This is, this is formation of FGIA you're talking about now, right? No, this is oh, formation this, this of... This is IGMA. IGMA. Right. IGMA. Yeah. Right. So there was a 97% uh, response rate of the memberships, which I think is incredible on its own. Yeah. 
don't normally see that. Most people can't be bothered. Mm -hmm. And we only had one um, negative. And interestingly enough, that company actually stayed on as a member even after the vote. So there you go. Um, I mean, it's not that we didn't have any attrition. And there were certainly some things that um, we did that were done up front that were, in hindsight, um, not exactly due diligence. You know, for instance, um, when the, and this was prior to me coming on board, when they were looking at the financial between IGMA, IGMAC and Sigma, they just put the revenue for the two groups together without considering the duplicate memberships. Oh, (laughs) So the first budget coming up was sort of like, oops. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a uh-oh. <laughs> but, we, simpler, you know, we got over that hurdle. <laughs> simpler, simpler times, Margaret, simpler yeah. times. Well, yeah. co- co- contrast the formation of, of, of FGIA. Uh, yeah. uh, what, was, what was that process like? Oh, my gosh, that was intense. Um, yeah. A, a lot, lot of meetings, like not just... Um, you know, not just, you know, sort of virtual meetings, but actually face-to-face meetings as well. I actually uh, flew over 100,000 miles. That, oh, man. That, Did you get a special card? Did you get a special uh, <laughs> yeah, I got the a rewards? Special <laughs> Thanks to COVID, I still have it. <laughs> <laughs> a gift that keeps on giving. I think I'd yeah, right. go away and go back to no status at all. <laughs> but, um yeah, and you know there was a lot of respect on both sides. Um, when you consider that AMA was a much larger organization than IGMA, we were given a lot of respect. You, I think, I think we were. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I sensed that in a lot of the meetings in Janice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, it, it remains to be seen what FGIA's culture will be. Um, you know, I'm not going to be around for that. Um, I certainly was around for IGMA's establishing that culture. And I know that one of the things that, of course, we came to be known for was the intense technical work, but also having the fun, the theme events. Right, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So whether, you know, um, FGIA as a combined membership can, you know, continue that themed legacy. I hope they can, because it really brings a different dynamic to it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, th- I think, I think they're, I think they're trying hard on that, on, on that, on that respect. And I mean, it's just, it, it's, everything has been so, you know, suspended uh, uh, with, you know, two, two years of no live events and, you yeah. know, it's, 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 it's time, you know, to uh, hope to get back together and, and, and start to build that culture. Um, yeah. But uh, hey, hey, the foundation is there and, uh, and uh, you know, Amy, uh, uh, is, uh, is a, a very Fantastic. smart, oh, yeah, she really is great. She's a very smart person. Yeah, um, um, her, her columns have been dynamite, uh, for the magazine. That's my main, <laughs> and we had a great conversation <laughs> like this, uh, for the podcast. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think we're, I think the Canadian side is in, is in good hands, uh, uh, there for sure. Listen, I got to watch the time, Margaret. Um, let's, um, let's get, we, we've already covered a couple of things there. Um, one thing I want to so so let's let's talk about the, the 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 real big picture stuff. What 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 do you think? How is how is the, the the architectural glass industry changed since since you got involved? And 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 what do you see as future directions? What are what are what are what's gonna what's gonna happen to all, all of our businesses and the and the and the industry as we go? Well, I don't have a you know. <laughs> telescope to the future. Right. But I think the biggest single 
impact on the industry and what will happen going forward is the increased stringency and energy efficiency codes. That is, you know, I think that's going to have the biggest single impact driving everything. Um, It's also going to drive up the the cost of products. There's no question, you know, um, it is. So whether the marketplace is ready to absorb that remains to be seen. And, you know, in order to get some, you know, economies of scale, it's got to become pretty mainstream to bring the prices down. So I think that I think codes are, um, becoming more and more um, important. Mm-hmm. I mean, they always were important, but now it's it's more critical than ever. Than not just not just the industry associations need to be involved, but individual companies need to be involved. They need to have a voice because if they don't, they're going to have to live with the consequences. And I think some of those consequences could be very severe and could have a really negative impact on uh, the industry, both north and south of that border. Yeah, I I I I want to I want to help you underline that because because yeah. it's 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 just a case of we're 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 in a period of of really change that that hasn't been seen in decades. Yeah. Uh, 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 with 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 these energy requirements, and I think as you've illustrated uh, somewhat with some of the battles that went on in the in the in the ski appeal, um, there are there are people with very strong agendas. Uh, mm-hmm. who have made up their minds about uh, what, uh, what how things should be. And uh, if the industry is not at the table uh, to to defend their interests on that stuff, th- things could go in, in wonky directions that don't make a lot of sense and that cost people a lot of money, Yeah. Uh, right? Well, and in Canada, you know, the majority of the industry are, you know, small and medium yeah. size. There's a lot of small producers and they're the ones with the most to lose. And they're probably the ones that really need to, you know, I mean, they don't have the resources to be at the table. They just don't. Yeah. So, you know, joining an organization actually to represent their, you know, interests and, you know, maybe they can't come to, you know, face-to-face conferences, but they can certainly get involved virtually through committees, but, you know, they really need to make their voice voices heard because I think they're the ones that are going to bear the brunt of what's coming. And, you know, a lot of these are family owned businesses. They've been around for decades, if not longer. And, you know, it's like sort of what happened with the farming industry. The family farms kind of the gone the way of the dodo bird. And now you're left with these huge corporations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's happened to our food supply? Well, you know, we've got a lot of food you know food problems for people you know whether it's ibs or you know allergies or you know, gluten allergies you know all kinds of stuff yeah so you know what's going to happen you know if we lose all the you know sort of those dedicated people you know in the it's industry it's a way to punch above your weight for sure as a as a company right i mean yeah. you can be a very small company and there's no reason why you can't end up on the same committee next to uh, uh, somebody from a much larger company, and and yeah. and you each get one vote, uh, yeah. and 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 that that is being transmitted along uh, to to the powers that be because the you know the the governments want to listen to associations because then they're yeah. not you know subject to any particular individual's agenda, and yeah. and and and, and you know th- this is how it works that that's your method to punch above your weight and to not just have things happen to you and then complain about it later. Yeah, now you right? need. 
be proactive, not reactive. Yeah. And I think in the past, the industry has been very reactive. I think they have a history of being reactive. It's time to step up and be proactive, you know, shape your destiny, shape your future. Yeah. At least try, you know, you may not succeed on, you know, every front, but you certainly aren't going to succeed if you don't try. Well, listen, Margaret, you're, you're a person who has stepped up and has, and has shaped this industry. uh, I think uh, in, in very tangible ways. Uh, And uh, you know, I, everyone I have ever spoken to uh, tremendously admired your, your work ethic and, and, and your ability to, uh, to, to, keep things going in the right direction and your passion and your interest for all of this. And, uh, you know, you, you, I, I'll say, it. I mean, I mean, you really are a, a, a leader and a giant in the, in the Canadian glass industry. And I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to say it. I, I know I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you blush, but, but, but you, 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 you really are that important. And, uh, and, and I just want to say uh, congratulations on, on, on your tremendous achievements. Uh, we're all going to miss you terribly. Uh, and, uh, but I, like you say, I think we're in good hands, but, uh, we, we're, we're, we're going to miss you and, uh, and congratulations on, on really a remarkable career. And I, I hope you have, uh, lots of fun downtime, disconnected time and yeah. to, uh, to look back and, and, and reflect on, uh, on, on all of this. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's been, and thank you for joining me, uh, because, uh, uh, this is a treat and, you know, you and I could ramble on for hours but uh yes. you know the, <laughs> I, just, I need i need i need to get you on and just to extract a few more nuggets of wisdom before before you're before you're lost to us so that's <laughs> and we'll we'll you know you know margaret we're going to be out there trying to suck you back in in one way or another so you better keep that keep that phone off <laughs> Yeah, that's when I changed the phone number. That's right. Yeah, it's hilarious because I actually I had changed the the message basically <laughs> saying if this is, you know, industry related, you know, don't leave a message, you know, and leaving a phone number to contact. If it's personal, please leave me a message. And of course, I was still getting. You were still getting. <laughs> of course. So I went okay. So that's obviously not going to work. So yes, I changed my phone number. So now I'm just getting personal messages. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. And a lot Listen, less enjoy. Emails. Yeah. 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 That inbox could actually get cleared out once in a while. Yeah. And I mean, just for, you know, anybody know if they do, you know, sort of email my old addresses, they're being forwarded to Amy, who's, you know, Amy, will, Amy will filter. Yeah. Yeah. Anything yeah, that Margaret actually has to see. Doesn't just have her own emails to deal with. How she's got all mine too. <laughs> <laughs> Poor woman. <laughs> Margaret Webb, retired executive director of IGMA and then the Canadian representative for FGIA. Thank you again uh, from all of us out here. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, be, we'll, be, we'll be watching what's next for, for you with interest from afar. Thank, thank you so much for joining me today, Margaret. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Glass Talk. You can find this episode at glasscanadamag.com or on the major podcasting services. Glass Talk is a presentation of Glass Canada Magazine and Annex Business Media.